Remote work is kind of like a security blanket for me. When I feel overwhelmed by my workload, I can put on some music, go for a walk, or just lay down for a few minutes without judgment. I don't need to tell someone why I'm stepping away from my desk. I can just go ahead and do it. Remote work also stripped away other work-related fears I had, like what to wear or how to act during impromptu interactions with colleagues. How to dress was a big one. When I worked at my first job, I was in the office every day for a few months. It was business casual, but I still needed a whole new wardrobe, a big expense fresh out of college. And I had questions. What is professional enough? Should I wear a dress or a blazer, slacks or skirts? I get irritable quickly if I'm not wearing something I'm comfortable in. To be frank, it was probably my first time wearing a bra in years. I was so uncomfortable having to dress a certain way for weeks straight. All of that was poof, gone with remote work. I'm wearing things I never wear in an office on a day-to-day. There's no pressure every morning of figuring out an outfit. But when we do occasionally have work events, I have more time to be thoughtful about how I want to show up. Remote work is an escape for me, someone who is a white, cis woman. I know the impact of the benefits of remote work is tenfold for gender nonconforming folks. Gen Zers are thinking about their identities and how they want to show up at work. This generation is all about authenticity, but for people who are non-binary or trans, that might mean jeopardizing your job, which is a lot to consider. Welcome to The Return, a work-life podcast from Digiday Media about what the return to the office looks like as we adapt to the new post-pandemic normal. I'm your host, Chloe Callahan, a reporter at WorkLife where I cover how modern workplaces and workforces are changing across six core areas, culture, technology, talent, leadership, spaces, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. On this episode, we talk to Gen Zers who are non-binary, transgender, and gender non-conforming about what their experience is like entering the workforce. The pandemic created a laundry list of negative impacts, but one positive outcome was that it gave people time to discover more about themselves during their time working from home. That's what happened for Yen Tan. I was a pandemic gay. To be perfectly honest, I was uh, post-breakup. It was 2020. I was on Hinge and there was a little button of uh, men, women, everyone. And I just got kind of curious. I was like, I'd only dated a few men in the past and I never really enjoyed it that much. What if we changed it to everyone? So embarrassingly enough, this was like a 2 a.m. kind of like, okay, let's just try it between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. when I like can't sleep because we're all in lockdown. I'm going to just test that out and see how that goes. And I just kind of, um, weirdly enough, matched with my current partner that she was the first girl I ever matched with. Um, But literally within three days of texting her, I was like, oh, this is not just like a friend. I have feelings for this person. And I guess that makes me queer. Yen's realizations about their sexuality eventually evolved into new realizations about their gender identity. A turning point came when they were traveling for work. They had brought a whole suitcase of their favorite outfits. But when Yen went to try them on, nothing worked. Their reflection didn't look right, and all their clothes felt uncomfortable. That feeling didn't go away for nine months. If my sexuality was influenced in me assuming I was default straight, 
how do I understand how that's like affected the way I understand gender and the way I understand my identity and what else has that kind of rippled into? It was almost as if I had taken a thread and started to like pull on it. And I was starting to both undo myself, but also kind of reveal what was underneath. And once I had the language for being non-binary and at that trans non-binary, I realized, wait, oh, this explains why I always feel out of place. This explains why I never really felt fully comfortable in my skin or my clothes or the presence I was trying to like so desperately create. I was very, very femme for years and just felt like that was kind of a performance I was putting on every single day. To kind of remove all of that and to realize, oh, this is what it means when people say this is to be yourself, like to be yourself is to, this is what this feels like. It was a huge eye-wakening experience. Not easy, if anything, harder, much, much harder than the kind of coming out aspect, but being trans has been such a gift and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's allowed me to fully embrace myself. Yen was figuring all of this out during COVID. For most college students, having to go remote made every single part of their lives harder, studying, working, socializing. But for Yen, there was one upside. This gave them a chance to explore their gender in private. During peak gender exploration, I predominantly at that moment identified as gender fluid, so much so that my gender would literally change within the moment. I sometimes would change outfits, like, I, I kid you not, like four or five times a day because I was just trying to seek comfort and everything just felt so wrong at that moment. I learned later that it was definitely HRT was kind of the missing piece. HRT stands for Hormone Replacement Therapy. It's used to help a person better align their body with their gender identity. And that by having microdose testosterone, I suddenly could feel in ease with my skin. But for a good year, it was just clothing was my escape. Having your closet literally 20 feet away when you're taking Zoom calls to be able to kind of just like change in and out, that was my escape. That got me through a very, very difficult, depressive kind of period. And remote work tools like Zoom and Slack took a lot of the pressure off of conforming to a certain idea of gender. And just being able to kind of have full fluidity to say like, hey, by the way, um, you'll notice on Slack, I changed my pronouns. It's so easy to just change your name literally on Slack and just to be like, hey, can we start trying these out and stuff like that? I experimented with pronouns. I was able to kind of show up in, in different outfits and nobody would ever question and stuff. I really lucked out in that sense and being able to have that level of flexibility I honestly think that there would have been so much more stress had I been forced to kind of dress up in high heels and a skirt and just show up at the same way, fully kind of in full office professional gear every single day at work. There was one time where I had to get dressed up and I couldn't figure out what to wear for this big recording that I had. And I had a full out panic attack the night before, which uh, was simply just because I'm going to be perceived as something I'm not. And this is going to be recorded. And it was just like this whole entire thing. I can only imagine the stress that trans and non-binary folks go through every single day just trying to show up in a very cis-het world. But that doesn't mean it was all positive. Yen was dealing with the same issues at work that everyone else was. Isolation, poor communication with their managers, and lack of motivation. They, along with a couple of their classmates at UCLA, realized there has to be a better way to do this. We're a bunch of 19-year-olds. We go on LinkedIn. We're like, hey, can you talk to us about remote work? Talk to about 100 people before we started realizing it's all about the squishier things. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about making sure that people feel like they're being treated by their with their whole selves and being able to have both flexibility, but also opportunity. And that's the things that make remote work tick. 
And so we started realizing it's not just remote work. It's about management. It's about leadership. It's about making sure that company cultures can be aligned. And that inspired Kona, this manager co-pilot that we've been working on for the past four years. Kona is an AI-powered leadership coach for remote managers that helps them navigate difficult conversations. It can be used for performance management, meeting preparation, and team engagement. What I've come to learn is that culture is all about people and that cultures benefit when you have diverse and inclusive voices, when you're able to bring in different perspectives and make people feel like they can become their full selves and be authentic. When people feel safe, there's literally studies by Amy Edmondson, a professor emeritus at Harvard, of psychological safety. And I would argue that psychological safety and all of its benefits to engagement, productivity, and ability to perform, all of those don't come without being able to have inclusive, safe environments for the many different types of people. Psychological safety is high on the checklist for Gen Zers looking for a place to work where they can be themselves. The term has been dormant in the business world for some time, but that's changing because of young people, something we've reported on frequently at Worklife. Amy Edmondson, who Yen mentions, coined the term a decade ago. She told us in the spring that the performance in an uncertain world depends upon psychological safety. If you're not hearing from people, you're at risk of underperformance of all kinds. And that's exactly what Yen stands for and has built with Kona. It's only possible because employees there practice what they preach. We only have one male person on the team, and that's my co-founder, Sid. Everybody else is women or like gender non-conforming like myself. We're an extremely diverse team with a lot of people of color. And just being able to like hire and create the team that we want to represent the future of work has just been a great joy. Hiring is a huge aspect of that, but I think it's also the only way we attract amazing talent like that is by having values wearing those values on our sleeves, and having benefits that can actively support folks. Corporate America has stepped up its support of LGBTQ rights. It's more widely accepted to be out in terms of sexual identity in the workplace. However, there's still a long road ahead to foster a truly inclusive environment, especially when it comes to gender identity. Gen Z young adults are much more likely to identify as either trans or non-binary than other generations. According to Time Magazine, in a survey from January 2021, Gen Z was the only U.S. generation in which a majority believed there are more than two genders. As recently as July 2020, that was a minority opinion, even amongst Gen Zers. A remarkable amount of change in just six months. In contrast, there was only a small uptick in this belief among older generations. A lot has changed since the pandemic. Starting in June 2021, the U.S. Census Bureau offered four options on its household poll survey question about gender. Male, female, transgender, and none of these. The results are clear. Gen Z young adults are much more likely to report identifying as either trans or non-binary than other generations. While only one out of 1,000 boomers report their transgender, 23 out of 1,000 Gen Z young adults identify as trans. That's over 20 times more. And the Gallup survey found that the number of Gen Z people identifying as transgender is twice that of millennials. Knowing all this, it's clear that gender identity is important to this newest generation of workers. And if you're trying to attract and retain young employees who increasingly identify with these groups, 
you need to respect them. Unfortunately, that doesn't come naturally to everyone. That's where Kat Kibben comes in. Kat is the CEO of Three Ears Media, a company that teaches recruiters how to become better writers and be more inclusive. The thing that we need to focus on to make hiring easier is the variables that we can actually control. The variables that you have input on, we're not trying to control other people because we know that's not possible. And so I was looking at those variables and one of the variables you can control is how you ask and how you speak to people. And job postings are the very first thing that would tell you what a company's really like. The company offers pronoun education, something that Kat is uniquely qualified to teach. I came out to my friends and family over the last five years as I was building my business. And some part of me said that I couldn't be trans and non-binary and run a successful company. And so for a lot, a lot too long, I hid. I hid who I was thinking that it would stop me from being successful. And so behind the scenes, I was telling all of my friends and family, and they were asking me all of these questions to really be there for me. And I wasn't even using my pronouns publicly. After a negative experience with the doctor who did not know how to treat them, Kat decided to tell that story and come out publicly. And that afternoon, I I cried really hard. (laughs) And then... I opened up my phone and I voice to texted a letter and it was my coming out letter and I put it on my blog the next day. And so when I came out as trans, the follow-up surprised me because it didn't impact my business in the same way that it had impacted some of my relationships with my family members. It actually helped me grow because it put me in a position where I could tell stories and That's how pronoun education goes when I show up, right? I don't claim to be a DEI expert. I'm not an LGBT expert. I I actually think that everyone's experience can be wildly different. But the thing that we all have in common is that we need to feel safe to be successful. Whether you're at work or in your community, you're not going to have a great life if you don't feel safe every day to be who you are. And so I took all of the questions that my friends and colleagues were asking me to try to understand, to respect, to show up for me, and I created a conversation around that. That's why Kat focuses on pronoun education as a part of their work, year-round, but especially in the lead-up to Pride Month. Right about May, every year, I start getting a lot of phone calls. Everyone wants to talk about having me in to do a pronoun presentation. They really want their team to understand what pronouns are. They have someone on their team who's come out as trans, and they want to provide this education without putting that responsibility on their team. And we book the session, and typically it is a one-off. For 80% of those companies, it is a one-hour session during June that the Pride ERG hosts that We have this conversation. Typically, the Q&A goes for 20, 30 minutes after it's supposed to end. They're clearly very invested in them. Poof, we don't hear anything again. But for the companies that really are putting this into their process, I think something really cool happens next where, for example, they have the option to record my session and a few of those people are using it for hiring manager onboarding. 
meaning you cannot be a hiring manager without learning about pronouns and belonging first. Others are using it for education, for ongoing education for their teams, and also considering some of the things I recommend in in that deck, which includes things like changing how you introduce yourself during an interview, adding a dropdown for your pronouns, and always including an option to not disclose, and really considering how their candidate experience is showing instead of telling how they support people. Kat's pronoun education includes stories about the importance of safe space and of being an active ally. Afterwards, they've had people come out to them or ask Kat if they can speak to their children. But as the workforce becomes more multi-generational, some of those reactions have changed. I think the difference with Gen Z is they know someone. Nine times out of ten, when I talk to them privately after the fact, their messages to me are things like, my best friend is trans, I'm so glad you were here today. They're not asking me a lot of questions, they're thanking me. While Gen Z is becoming a larger part of the workforce, leadership positions are still mostly held by older generations. Generations made up of different demographics who have different values. So how does this play out? Well, the data speaks for itself right now. So over 60% of gender nonconforming people say that they do not believe they can be who they are at work. And that is multi-generational data. And so knowing that, I think we have a lot of steps to take. I think pronoun education is step one, but truly it's about putting their money where their mouth is. And inevitably, it's going to change. The data is going to change. We're not going to see such significant statistics that say that trans people are unemployed, underemployed, right? They're going to have access to more jobs. And eventually the hiring manager, the recruiting team, everyone who's influential in the hiring process, we're going to see a shift in that and it will change the demographics of the workforce. Kat is talking about the domino effect here. If a trans or non-binary person can't get a job, they're at a higher risk for homelessness. According to Covenant House, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to provide safe housing and holistic care to young people, LGBTQ plus youth are 120% more likely to experience homelessness than their peers. Then that could lead to a larger rate of suicides amongst this population. More than 50% of transgender and non-binary youth between the ages of 13 and 24 in states across the U.S. seriously considered suicide in the past year, according to new data from the Trevor Project. It's all tied together. The demographics of the workforce are changing, but trans people still face employment discrimination. As Gen Z, with its higher population of queer and trans-identifying folks, enters the workforce, it's going to be even more top of mind. More after the break. According to a new report from business.com, over 80% of non-binary people believe that identifying as non-binary would hurt their job search. Similarly, 51% believe their gender identity has affected their workplace experience very or somewhat negatively. The company went a step further by sending two identical resumes 
to 180 entry-level job postings to test whether or not the inclusion of gender-neutral pronouns impacts how employers perceive resumes. Both resumes featured a gender-ambiguous name, but the resume including they-them pronouns received 8% less interest than the one without, and fewer interview and phone screening invitations. And the companies rejecting these resumes weren't shy about why. They told business.com things like, this person seems like a decent fit on paper, though I'm not interested in the drama that a person who thinks they are they-them brings with them. And take off the pronouns. I would trash the resume for that reason alone. But the issue is much larger than just within the job search. There's a rise in anti-trans legislation this year. Translegislation.com is tracking 583 bills across 49 states in 2023. As of November, out of the 583 proposed, 85 have already passed. Those bills include everything from felony charges for providing gender-affirming care to people under 26 years old, to banning books in schools that validate concepts of gender or pronouns. 14 of the proposed bills are in Florida. That's where Lana Patel grew up. I came out when I was 12 years old and I started to um, start my social and medical transition at 17. Um, When I graduated um, high school that summer, I started to like grow my hair out and started dressing more feminine. I lived in a very rural, conservative um, area. I was in Polk County, Florida. Um, So where I was, uh, was not conducive to getting access to gender-affirming care. Uh, The providers that I uh, went to knew nothing about um, gender-affirming hormone therapy, and they all turned me down. Alongside Lana's search for a doctor that would help her transition, she was also looking for a job. And I was applying to everything under the sun all over Polk County. And I was really torn because my gender marker on my um, license and like all of my documentations was male. And I knew that I was a woman and I was in transition, but I felt really conflicted as to how do I go about applying for these jobs? Do I put female and potentially have an issue when I get hired for this job? Or do I put male and then tell them that I'm trans and hope that they accept me? One time that I had a conflict was um, applying for McDonald's. And I had an interview. Um, The interview went really well. The manager loved me and immediately hired me on. And I think this was like a Thursday or a Friday and set me up for orientation that upcoming Monday. The day before the orientation, I get a call saying that the orientation was booked and full and they weren't able to get me in. And then after that, I never heard back from them as to when I could do orientation again, and and I just kind of got the runaround. A few months later, my grandmother um, was driving past that same McDonald's and saw that they were hiring again. 
So I call the McDonald's and I speak to the hiring manager and she pulls up my application and she's like, oh, we got all the people that we needed, um, but thanks. And I knew it was because I was trans, because the, the manager who had initially um, met with me and interviewed me, loved me, and everything was great until I had to come back to present my documentation. And then I had another incident when I was, um, you know, applying to be like an accountant for another company. Um, and I got hired on. And within two days, I got called um, off the training floor and into the HR's office. And HR shows me two papers and they're like, your application says female, but your documentation says male. Which one is it? Since your documentation says male, you have to work as a man. You will have to use the men's restroom. You'll have to dress as a man. And you will have to have a man, like male grooming. So you, you'll have to cut your hair. And I was devastated. I was just like, oh my gosh, I finally got a job. Like this was the highest paying job that I had at the time. And I was so excited for this opportunity. And in a moment, everything just came crashing down. They said there was one caveat that if I was able to pr provide proof that um, I could work as a woman, they would allow me to work as a woman. So I went to my school psychologist, um, who I'd been working with, and she wrote that letter of recommendation for me. And I was able to bring that in, um, and HR allowed me to work as a woman. But I still faced a lot of discrimination on the job. Um, you know, my coworkers knew I was trans. I was ridiculed every day. The security would threaten me for using the women's restroom. And it was a very hostile environment to be in. While there's a rise in anti-trans legislation, there's a lack of employment protections. U.S. lawmakers failed to pass the Equality Act, a federal bill which would prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in a range of contexts, including employment. For people like Lana, it's easy to feel powerless. But Lana did finally catch a break. In December 2020, she started working at Plume, a gender-affirming healthcare company for the gender-diverse community. It's a company for trans people, founded by trans people. Lana is Plume's PR and government affairs liaison. Working for a company with, like, over half, like, trans staff, I thought was brilliant and, and incredible. And to know that there's a space that's like for trans folks, by trans folks, and there's opportunities for growth and expansion. Um, I'd never been in a space where I had co trans coworkers. I was always the only one. So this was an amazing um, journey to, you know, go from being a contractor to a full-time employee and to do the work that I do now. How did working at a gender-affirming place change your experiences in your career? Yeah, for me, it meant that the workplace could be truly revolutionary and you can shape the culture um, to be inclusive. You know, we have trans and gender non-conforming folks here 
and some amazing allies that work for this company. But you don't have to just be the only token trans person in a workspace. And that trans folks can be capable of carrying all of these roles and responsibilities and that we can build out something. I thought that was really beautiful, you know, being a part of a startup and um, a health tech company with such amazing um, vision and, and mission and values just felt really like heartwarming and really empowering. And working with the folks that I get to work with every day is just such an incredible opportunity. Um, and learning from my peers and, you know, getting to see folks really expand and, and grow into their own. It's true that Gen Zers can help shape the workplace to be more inclusive, but it's also up to other generations to be welcoming and create a sense of belonging. It won't happen overnight. That's why until then, Kat and Lana have their own advice on how to navigate the workplaces that aren't always completely accepting of non-binary and gender non-conforming people. Honestly, I think the sky is the limit, you know? In the trans community, we have families and like, uh, chosen families. And so I'm kind of like a, a trans grandma. Like I have a trans daughter and my trans daughter has a trans daughter. And so my trans daughter just got a full ride into um, NYU in the business school. And she's, you know, going to pursue her master's there. And I think that's incredible. I think this is, we're truly living in a time where like trans folks can move the needle and like we can own any space that we want to be in. And so I just tell folks to lead with confidence. We have a lot of power now. You know, I, I feel like there are companies that desperately want us to work for their um, brands and their companies because some folks want to be inclusive, but then we also bring something. There's a vitality that comes with trans and gender non-conforming folks, my advice would be to follow your heart. Look out for the green flags, look out for the red flags, make sure that this place is going to be inclusive. It will be supportive for your growth and expansion and that it's a safe space for you and you feel confident within the workspace and with the work that you're going to do. Kat, too, believes it's all about whatever makes an individual feel safe. And that can differ from person to person. I think the first thing is do your research, right? Put your pronouns on your resume. Talk about who you are. Don't be scared. And I want to say that what I just said comes with privilege. I know that. And if you believe at any point that disclosing your pronouns is stopping you from getting work and you need to pay your bills and you need to eat. I want you to take a step back and be okay with evolving who you are and taking a job to make sure that you can meet your basic necessities. This is kind of personal, but I went through a lot of back and forth on coming out, right? I told you my story of not coming out until I had figured out and, and gone through that moment with the doctor. And I said to my therapist, 
you know, I feel like I'm a phony. I mean, here I am trying to tell all these people to respect me and show up for me, and I'm not even who I am at work. I'm so scared. And like, what about when I go out in the world in my van and I am non-binary and I go in the women's restroom and I have to look these people in the face and say, I'm a girl. Don't do like, don't be mad at me so I can just use the bathroom in peace. And I was like, I just feel like I'm not even living as who I am. And she said to me, you have to be alive to help people. I want to give if, if anyone in Gen Z is listening to this right now, I want to give you permission to be exactly as you feel safe, to seek out queer businesses to work for, to seek out spaces where you feel safe, but to also feel free to hide if that's what you need. Because we can't help. We can't change this world if you're not here. One of the resources I would love to point out is um, it's called Everywhere is Queer, and it's literally a list of queer-owned businesses across the country. Start there in your job search. Look at that. As far as the job posting, I don't think we can make a definitive yes or no, but if you feel that little nudge in your gut that's like, woo, this doesn't feel right, listen, I have never once had that nudge and been wrong. And I can almost guarantee that all of us have enough intuition to know when something doesn't feel right and you should walk away at that point. Next week on the final episode of The Return, we'll hear from some of our guests from earlier this season about promotions, layoffs, and endless job searches. This is your host, Chloe Callahan. Until next time. The Return is brought to you by Digiday Media, This podcast was written and reported by me, Chloe Callahan, and produced and edited by Sarah Patterson. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Then head over to worklife.news for continued coverage on how workplaces and workforces are changing to meet new expectations.